0: Okay, We're carrying on our series through James, and uh, we've hit James chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn it to James chapter 4, and we're going to be going from verse 1 down to verse 10. James is really picking up where he left off in the end of chapter 3, if you remember that from a couple of weeks ago. And James was talking about two different kinds of wisdom, earthly wisdom Centred around me, who I am, what I want. And heavenly wisdom, wisdom from heaven, focused on God. Centred on him and serving those around us. And then he finished by saying, do you know, the wise way is the way of peace. He talked about um, peacemakers raising a harvest of righteousness through peace. And now we hit this passage. And so I'm going to read it, but don't worry, we've got the words on the screen if you haven't got a Bible, and then we're going to pray, and you're going to see why we need to pray after I've read it. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't you know, uh, sorry, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That's why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are yours. We thank you we're yours. We thank you you're the good shepherd. We're the people of your flock. We belong to you. We thank you for holy scripture thank you for the living word in our lives. We thank you that you speak to us through your word. And and Lord, we ask that you might speak to us this morning. You might open our hearts, open our eyes to all you have for us this morning. That Lord, we might see you afresh. (laughs) That we might encounter you afresh this morning through your word. Help me, help us, um, and be with us. Holy Spirit, you're so welcome here. Come and move amongst us. Come speak to every heart. Amen. All right. So, to our passage this morning. It reminds me of, uh, this passage reminds me of a recent trip my brother told me he made. Uh, a little holiday him and his friends went on they decided they wanted to go uh, mountain walking in the Picos de Europa, uh, which is uh, a mountain range in northern Spain. The type of place that... I'm just looking to see the type of person that would go on that. Nev's not here, is he? And Kevin Storer, he likes mountain climbing. You know, the type of place people want to go. Tom, I'm sure Tom would like to go to that type of place and go mountain walking and climb rock faces and stuff like that. Anyway, they really wanted to go. So they decided they would go to the de Europa uh, and do some some mountain walking. And uh, he went with two friends, and those two friends said they knew where they were going. It's fine, we know the routes, we we know all about this kind of stuff, we'll be fine. And uh, there they were. But what happened is after a few days of walking, they kind of realised, hey... We're not sure where we are, actually. We're a bit lost. They kept walking, kept checking different maps and different sat- satellite devices. Hey, I think we know how to do it. We go this way. But they got themselves further and further into trouble, and the fog descended more and more. And so as the nights went on, and as they ran out of food and ran out of water, they realized they had to give up. And they realized they had to call Mountain Rescue. And... Uh, And they made the local Spanish news. And Mountain Rescue came to save them. Um, Oh, there's Kevin. Yeah, you would like that, wouldn't you? Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure you wouldn't get lost. But do you know, they were there. But they'd wandered into some dangerous places. And do you know, the Christian life can be a bit like that. Do you know, you can be a Christian. You can know Jesus. But your behavior, attitudes... Following the wrong kind of things can sometimes lead us away from the kind of life that God desires for us. They were there, they were in the mountains, but they were had gone off and they'd wandered off. And you know, James is calling anyone like this to return to God, to humble themselves before Him. And so I've got three points this morning. I've got three points. A disordered life, a faithful God, and a humble response. See, James seems to be addressing uh, issues of arguments and fighting among them. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? See, James is serious about this, and he's serious about the consequences of what they're doing. He uses very strong language, doesn't he? You quarrel, you fight, you kill and covet. Kill. You know, it's likely that he doesn't mean that they kill each other. But he's using strong language to say, do you know, this is serious. And what causes it? A desire for things where you're at the center. He says there's things you want and you can't have them. And they cause, them, cause you to fight amongst yourselves. You're not thinking about other people, and it's causing division, James says. And then when you do ask for things, when you do ask God for things that you need, you ask with the wrong motives, because it's about you, and you just want the things to spend on what you want and your pleasures. It's almost as if God becomes a slot machine for you and you say, okay, I I put my prayer here at the top and out will come what I want. And that's my relationship with God. That's all I want. I want to say, God, give me this so I can have this for what I want. James calls it friendship with the world. You know, what does he mean by this? Does he mean don't be friends with people? It's bad to be friends with other people outside of the church. No, he doesn't mean that at all. See, when the Bible talks about the world, it talks about society organizing itself apart from God, saying we don't need God, we can do life, we can do society without him. We don't need him. That's what he means by the world. Listen to Jesus' words. This is what he says about his disciples in John 15, uh, verse 19. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. See, you can take it too far and you can say, Oh, the world, oh, I know what the world is. That's like listening to non-Christian music. That's like going to the cinema. That's the world. You need to avoid that's like it's like avoiding anywhere that's fun. Just don't go anywhere that's fun, and then you won't have friendship with the world. No. Actually, he's talking about friendship of the world is signing up to an earthly way of life that has rejected God. And do you know, because it's an attempt to live without God, James says, it is hatred towards God. Strong stuff. We need God's help this morning. Or we can just think, oh, he's just talking to people who aren't Christians actually here. He's not talking to the church. He's talking to people who who don't know Jesus. That's what he's talking about. No, no, no. He's very clear. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers here. See, you can be a Christian and have the desires of your life ordered wrong. See, in verse 4, he likens it to adultery. He says, you adulterous. People, You see, the idea of adultery as a, a description of how we can treat God isn't new. It was used uh, uh, for the Jewish people in the Old Testament by many of the prophets. And Jesus used it about the religious people of his day. And you know, it's a helpful description, isn't it? Because adultery in marriage can cause all sorts of disastrous Effects and impacts on a relationship. And do you know something? So can spiritual adultery. You know, here's the God who loves you, who's for you, who gave himself for you. And we can just want to flirt with other stuff. We can want to choose other things, follow other loves. Whew! Verse 5. Then we get to verse 5. And uh, it's kind of a little unclear what verse 5 means. It maybe says this if you've got an NIV version. In fact, most versions give a few different options here for verse 5. It says, Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? So it's a little unclear. You know, is it, could it mean, as some translate it, God has put in us, his spirit and he has a longing jealousy for us you know a godly jealousy for us to be his and his alone you might think that's a bit selfish of god but actually if god was happy to share us with other things and that are less than him and things that aren't good for us actually that wouldn't make god loving God's jealousy, He wants us to be His, not flirting with worldly attitudes. Because, amongst other things, He knows what's best for you and me. Or is it translated like this? It's the spirit that God puts in every human being to give them life. Actually, that has real desire for sinful jealousy. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about the life that God has given us. Do you know? That has desires and capacity for real jealousy. Either way, however you translate it, we need God's help. And that's a fact. Is there any hope? Is there any hope to all this? Yes. Yes, there is. Which brings me to my second point a faithful, faithful God. So, what's God's response to all this? We find it in verse 6. But he gives us more grace. What an amazing set of six words in this book. But he gives us more grace. Do you know, we could have a whole preach this morning on those six words and it would be fantastic. But he gives us more grace. See, grace is the kindness of God expressed to us in Christ. It's Jesus taking on the punishment that we deserved. He took it on him. And what do we receive? We receive the grace and the kindness of God. We don't deserve it, but we get the riches of Jesus, the riches of the obedient son are ours because of him. And our standing with God is based on grace. And do you know, when we think we've just about exhausted God's grace, when we think we've just about reached the limits, he gives more grace. It's amazing. It comes to us again. We're reminded that we're totally unworthy of it. We totally haven't deserved it. But his grace doesn't run out. He loves to give it. You so know, when we've messed up, we know, oh, do you know, I've messed up, but I know I'm forgiven. I know if I come to God, He'll forgive me. I know I come to Him in grace, I come to Him in love. See, so the letter to the Hebrews says this we can approach God with confidence so that we may find, receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, when there's a family situation, when there's a family tragedy, you know, just like the walls, when we hit a wall, like Jill was talking about this morning, I've come up against a wall. He gives more grace, and his grace comes to us. And we think, how are we going to get through this? And his grace comes to us. When the pressure of parenting is so intense... And you're kind of like, these kids are driving me mad, whether they're teenagers or little things or 30-year-olds. I'm at the end of my tether. But he gives more grace. Or when you think, do you know, I'll never overcome that sin in my life. I've done it again. I've messed up again. Oh, he gives more grace. Do you know you'll never um, grow out of God's grace? You won't do it. You'll never be be able to stand up and say, I don't need God's grace anymore, I'm fine. The grace of God is wonderful, amazing, life-changing, satisfying. However, receiving more grace is not simply some automatic arrangement. James says, we have a responsibility here. Which brings me to my final point, a humble response. See, we need grace to live the Christian life. Who needs grace? I need grace to live the Christian life. I really do. But grace doesn't just kind of sweep us along into some effortless holiness, kind of like some instant purification. We're suddenly perfect. Just look forwards to know that's not true. We are not. Just look around you to know that that is not true. It's not some kind of instant sanctification. But this is a grace that empowers us. It's a grace that it teaches us to say no. That's what the Bible says. The grace of God has come to us. It helps us to say no in situations. It's a grace that changes us. However, it's not just some kind of instant victory. Suddenly, it's instant. We're done. We're perfect. We're sorted. Everything's okay in our life. This is what one Bible commentator says about this. The benefits of grace and more grace are found on a road of obedience. Does that sound a bit legalistic? Oh, I don't like the sound of that. No, it's not talking about, you know, you better earn it. You better earn that grace. It's not talking about that. Grace is absolutely undeserved. But for Christians, there's an attitude of enabling, an attitude that enables grace to, throw, to th- flow freely in our lives. It's an attitude that enables grace to flow freely in our lives. And he says it's grace to the humble. Now, the humble isn't just thinking less of yourself. is isn't just thinking, oh, you know, if you're a great sportsman, oh, well, I'm not really. I'm not really. I'm not a great sportsman. But if I was, just saying, oh, I'm really not. That's not hum- hum- Humility. Humility is just simple obedience to God, thinking more about him, depending on him. And then he talks about, James talks about, what does this look like? What does this humbleness look like? Well, he says this first in verse 7, submit to God. Sometimes submit to us in our culture sounds like losing something, doesn't it? Sounds like you're losing It sounds like you're giving up. It sounds very negative, doesn't it? But submitting to God is very, very different. We're submitting to someone who loves us, with a pure love, who's for us. Sometimes we can think of submission as very passive, can't we? We don't do anything. Just just give up, submit. No, that's not submission. Submission can be very, very active. Sometimes we have to submit daily decisions, choices, actions, attitudes. And then he says, resist the devil and resist the devil and he will flee from you. People sometimes say, do you know, I can't help but sin. I just can't help it it just happens i just i, just, I that, that one sin i just can't help it <coughs> i just just happens again and again and again i've tried and tried and tried and i'm a slave to it do you know if you're a christian that is not true do you know the bible says there's no condemnation the devil will tell you that's true like uh, dennis was talking about lies wasn't he sometimes we believe lies The the enemy wants you to believe. That's true. I'll never change. You'll never change. God will never love you, really. That's not true. Don't listen to his lies. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. If you are in Christ, the power of sin is broken in your life and in my life. And do you know, when the enemy comes and tempts you, you can say no. You can say no and he will flee. Do you know when you're at work or you're at school or you're at college and there's that one person that winds you up and really annoys you and you think, I can't help it, I can't Every time they say something, oh, I get so annoyed. Oh, they really wind me up. Oh, I say the wrong thing to them. I can't help it. No, no, you can. You can. You can resist it when that happens resist it. Then in verse 8, it says this, come near to God. And? Come near to God. He will come near to you. Fantastic. It was great to, um, you know, come near to God. Draw near to him. It was great This morning, Raj bringing that passage from Psalm 84 and then singing that amazing song uh, that Johnny started off with. How lovely is your dwelling place to be with you? How amazing is it? This is the Christian life to know the King of Heaven personally. It's amazing, it's wonderful. Make a conscious decision, James is saying, to come near to God. It's a bit like um, uh, this year at uh, New Day, which is the uh, young person's camp we take a number of our young people to down in Norfolk. And uh, this year at New Day, with 8,000 young people camping at Norfolk Showground, they had a radio station. Amazing! Someone had set up a radio station on the showground and uh, they had a big mast. And they were beaming it out over the site. And you could listen to New Day radio. And they had interviews and music and games and all sorts of stuff for the young people. But do you know, when I left the site, when I left the, the showground, um, uh, to go to Tesco's or to go to the hospital, which is usually my want at, at New Day, I'm finding, um, <laughs> <laughs> taking trips to the hospital. Um, when, when we would go off-site and go in the car, you'd have the car tuned in to, to New Day Radio but as you got further away it would get cracklier and cracklier until you actually you couldn't hear it and as you would come back as you would come back to the site actually, you'd start to hear it again it would come into focus, it would come into tune and you could hear New Day Radio and it's a bit like that in our lives, as we come near to God we find we can hear him clearer we can hear his voice in our lives sometimes we can wander away can't we actually that signal in a sense it feels like you know perhaps I'm not hearing God as much as as I did come near to God come near to God perhaps maybe when you're on your own praying say do you know God I'm believing this promise perhaps this week I'm believing this promise in James come near to God and he will come near to you do it in gathered settings. When we come together on a, on a Sunday morning, I'm coming near to you, God, this morning. And I know, you promise, you'll come near to me. Sometimes we, we have an attitude in worship, don't we? And we say, oh, I'm not feeling it this morning. I'm not feeling the worship. Oh, I didn't feel the worship this morning. We can sometimes say that, can't we? Sometimes, you know, I sometimes hear myself saying that. I think, oh my goodness, I'm a leader. But you know? And then sometimes I remember, well, Am I making an, a conscious decision? I'm going to come near to you, God, this morning because I know you come near to me. Is that your attitude as we gather together? Come near to God. Hey, when we pray this evening, we're coming near to God because we know He draws near to us. It's an amazing verse. Okay, how are we doing? We're doing okay. Right, then we get these verses Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. See, I like the draw near to God bit, but uh, this stuff—see, oh. this this is really important because it shows us why it's important to interpret Scripture. You could read this and decide that Christians are never meant to be joyful. Christians are never meant to look happy. Christians are always meant to be glum. But what is James doing here? He's using Old Testament language to get across a point, and it's to express the seriousness of sin and disobedience to God. So this is what it says in Psalm 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So, we've just been reading. (gasps) Okay. Purify your hands. Uh, Clean your hands. Purify your hearts. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. And then in Genesis 20, when uh, Abraham says that his wife's his sister, and uh, one of the local kings kind of takes her for his so that she can be his, um, and then he realizes that actually it was all a mistake and and she's not actually single, Um, he says this when he finds out I did it with a clear conscience and clean hands in other words here hands represent external actions uh, behaviour and the heart represents an inner attitude of who we are see we can have a very relaxed view of sin can't we we can say "I, I draw near to God I like that bit draw near to God but actually sin doesn't matter sin doesn't matter it does it matters to God that is double-mindedness. Then grieve, mourn, and wail. Mourn instead of laugh. In the Old Testament, prophet Joel uh, called the Israelite nation to return to God. Come back to God, he said. And this is what he said. They ditched God, and he said this. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your hearts, with fasting and weeping and mourning. He wanted them to take sin seriously. See, we might say, okay, it's okay, because this is just the Old Testament symbolic language, isn't it? Phew, okay, that's a bit better, isn't it? It's not serious then. No, no, it is. It's Old Testament symbolic language because sin is serious. Because James is serious about sin. Because God is serious about sin. And so James is saying, be serious with sin. Not because, say, don't sin. He's not saying don't sin because sin is naughty. Don't you know you shouldn't do it? No, he's not saying that. He's saying, do you know, sin is not what God wants for you. It affects your relationship with him. The God who loves you, who's for you. And you just treat sin like it doesn't matter to him? But if this passage teaches us anything, it teaches us, not to despair, but to have hope in God. Humbly uh, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. The answer is to return to God humbly, look to His grace, to His forgiveness, to His empowering, to change you. See, it reminds me of a, a parable that Jesus tells in Luke 18 about the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, We haven't got time to turn to it now. But it says that they both go up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee, who's the religious guy of the day, and the tax collector, who, you know, people think, okay, that's the guy who's sinful. That's the guy who's not going to be right with God. The Pharisee goes to the temple and he says, God, I thank you I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Do you know, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. The tax collector stands at a distance and he doesn't even look up. He won't even look up to, to heaven. But he beats his chest and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, do you know it's the tax collector that goes home justified by God. And then Jesus says this, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus, in that parable, explains the way to God. But do you know, he doesn't just explain how to get right with God. That's not what Jesus did. Actually, he made it possible. The Bible says he humbled himself and was even obedient to death death on a cross and on the cross he took the punishments for our sin every bit of it so we wouldn't have to because he loved us because he loved us he paid for our sin for your rot for my rot for my foul ups he paid for it on the cross so I wouldn't have to so how do we respond to this this morning? It's good to respond to God's word. Do you know, maybe, do you need to come near to God this morning? Are you aware? I've been away, Do you know, I've been away from God. I know I've walked away from God. I need to come near to him. I need to return to him. Maybe he's calling you to be serious with sin. Maybe you're aware of an area of sin in your life that, do you know, I haven't been serious about that. Maybe he's calling you to be serious with sin this morning. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning and you are aware this morning of your deep need for God. Or maybe there's just situations in your life like the walls that Jill was talking about. I'm coming up against and I'm just not sure. I don't don't know how I can cope with these. I don't know how I deal with these. Humble yourself before God. Admit your need for God and come to him and do you know in all of these things it's as we see who Jesus is as we see his magnificence what he has done on the cross as we receive the forgiveness that he brings as we receive the spirit that he pours out do you know that helps us to live a humble life that helps us to live the God-centered life So my urge to you this morning is, hey, let's come to him. Let's come to Jesus. I want us to respond. I'd like us to stand and pray. And we're going to respond in song as well. And uh, let's stand for a minute and pray. If the band could come up, that would be helpful. come to Jesus. Let's draw near to him. What an amazing promise that it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Lord Jesus, we love you. We honour you. We say we so are aware of our need. Before a holy God, but we see that the righteousness of Christ is given to us because of your work on the cross. And our sins are forgiven and they're removed as far as the east is from the west, your word says. And we're yours. And we thank you. And I want to pray for anyone here who feels far away, who senses they've walked away or who senses they haven't been serious with sin or or knows there's walls they come up against and they just need to humble themselves before you. Lord, come and speak to them this morning. Thank you. How lovely is your dwelling place as we heard this morning. It's amazing, it's amazing that we are invited in to the presence of the living God. Thank you.